Michael Osterlink here. I'm with Cosper Scafidi. He is a structural integration certified advanced rolfer and a member of the Dr. Ida Rolf Institute's board. How are you doing, Cosper? Michael, I'm well. It's uh, good to see you. Good to be seen. It means I'm still here. <laughs> you are still here. <laughs> uh, you are actually my rolfer. Uh, I've gotten a lot of benefits from working with you, and I thought it'd be really cool to have a recorded conversation since you and I have had many, many conversations over this year about your work and your history. And one of the things I want to do is kind of do a deep dive into what rolfing is. But before we get into rolfing, a little bit about yourself and what led you on the path of becoming a healer and a rolfer. Well, when I was an undergraduate, I was turned on to uh, uh, Carl Jung's autobiography, Memories, Dreams, Reflections. And it completely changed the way I looked at the world. I started to think that there was a lot more than just the sort of what we've been spoon-fed as the, 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 the core lattice work that we're supposed to hang our beliefs on. It threw a lot of that into, into question. And that led me into getting very interested in the study of the mind. And I, I started doing everything from, you know, I, I did adventures into psychedelics and meditation and the role that led into, well, how, how, what are other ways you can affect the mind-body, you know, matrix? meditation, Tai Chi, and I was all already someone that loves sports, so I was very interested in performance. Um, and so there was a, a piece of it was like, well, how can I perform better? How can I be better? How can I be more present? But that led into a very spiritual kind of journey also. I began to see that they were flip sides of the same coin. They were very difficult to separate. And as I got more into the mind stuff, it became very clear you couldn't you know, not look at the mind without looking at the body. I got into running as an undergraduate. It started kind of as a, uh, I was gonna run this thing called the circuit. It was 1.2 miles, which at the time, for someone who primarily did sprints, it seemed like a really long way to go. And, you know, once around and twice around and four times around, and then I just began to start running. That led me to reading Runner's World. and. One day in 1975, there was an article on rolfing. I was like, I read it, and you know, it was like, this is great. Why haven't I ever heard of this? So I went to see my advisor, who was a clinical psychologist named Tom West, uh, ran this sort of mind-body counseling program that I was studying in at Eckerd College in St. Pete, Florida. And I, I told him, I said, you ever heard of rolfing? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, I want to, how do I find a rolfer? And he's like, I'm a rolfer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Webster's rolfing too. Um, so that, once I started doing rolfing, and I went through the original 10 series, because Dr. Rolf came up with this protocol of how to teach people her work. And it changed my life. I'd never experienced my body like that. I had out-of-body experiences. I had altered states of consciousness. And I actually got connected into my body in a way that I didn't really know was possible. I started sourcing it from the inside out. Um, I got connected to pieces of me that I, I didn't know exist. And there's something about having someone... In those days, the way that Rolfers worked was pretty intense. Uh, and it just changed me and I decided this is something I absolutely wanted to do so when I got out of college I started graduate school in counseling 
um, and I got an opportunity to go out and study at Esalen and nice. on, on the, in, in Big Sur, and I went into a program with a guy named John Heider, uh, who was this gestalt therapist, a direct student of, of Fritz Perls, but you know, we studied Aikido, we studied meditation, we studied all sorts of body work, and I started connecting the dots as much as I could as a 22, 23 year old, um, with, you know, I, I knew everything and really knew nothing. Uh, and I was able to weasel my way into the Rolf training at 24 years old uh, in 1979 and ended up graduating a year later at, at, and that started my career. And back in those days, I really thought of Rolfing more, I think in many ways as a technique. You know, and what evolved over time is I began to realize it really wasn't a technique at all. It was a point of view. Hmm. You know, it was really an examination of how the body lives in gravity, how it lives in space, and how we are connected from the inside out to the, to the environment in physics. And that there was a lot more to it than just, you know, we really learned a lot about the work with fascia. You know, back when fascia has become sort of in the, in the medical world now, kind of the topic du jour. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I spent seven years on the board of an organization called the uh, Rolf Research Foundation that really, and our signature product, if you will, was an every three-year conference on fashion research. And the first one was presented at Harvard Medical School in 2007. And just in November of this year, we had our fourth conference in Berlin. And... I think there were over 25 countries represented with research wow. on fascia. But that was really the focus in those days was how, how rolfing was an attempt to manipulate the muscles and the connective tissue, the so-called myofascia, to integrate the body in three-dimensional space, to reorder the segments around a vertical horizontal line, really an XYZ axis, top to bottom, front to back, side to side. But over time, in my own journey, I began, I was, I was inspired by a couple of Dr. Rolf's original teachers, Michael Salveson and Jan Sultan, to go back and start looking at what Dr. Rolf was studying, because she was really a student of the old osteopaths, among other things. I mean, she, had, she was a biochemist by trade, but I, I started studying, you know, that there's, there's within, if you think of, we talk a lot about holism now. And I tend to think of wellness as being really much broader than just like, well, I'm holistic because I say I am. There's, there's holism would really mean that you understand energy, life force like the acupuncturists do, or biometabolics like an MD might. In my world, it's, or, you know, the psycho-spiritual as we've discussed on many occasions, but also in my world, it's the biomechanical. How does the body function in this? So within the holism of the biomechanical taxonomy, I started studying blood vessels and nerves and organs and the cranium. They were all in this package and they all were interactive and they were all reactive to the other systems. Energy affects them, psycho-spiritual affects them and they affect them back. And so that's for the last 40 years <laughs> been my ongoing study. So walk us through. So 
in late 70s, you started doing this training. After that, you kind of opened your uh, field of, of interest uh, to follow somewhat of what I'm hearing you say is uh, Dr. Rolf's interest to kind of see where she came from, develop her, her larger theory. But I have to, and then you also mentioned too that, that the, the fascia is being studied more and more and more, and you have more countries now even studying it. Just for a kind of historical, cultural conversation's sake, what was the understanding back in the day, not from the Rolfers, but like from the mainstream medical biomechanical community? What is it today, and what has the Rolfing community contributed to that conversation, and has the, has the conventional world caught up to the Rolfing community, or is the Rolfing community so, still so far ahead of the, the conventional world? A lot of questions there. A lot of questions. Well, you know, my original interests, Michael, were psychological. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was planning to get my PhD in psychology, and I wanted to use body work, hands-on stuff, as a way to go deeper into people's psycho-spiritual sense. I was, back in the 70s when I started studying this, we didn't really talk about mind-body medicine. Mm-hmm. We talked about mind-body integration. Okay. Um, now, we, I think we have a much broader level of inquiry into it. Uh, there's a lot of avenues in, you know, you can go back to like Herbert Benson's work mm-hmm. at Harvard mm-hmm. on the relaxation response. I mean, that gave a huge amount of credibility. Like when I talk to people about doing meditation, I'll say, well, now listen, there, there's some research on this and it's, it's, it's kind of this little new agey place up in New England called Harvard Medical <laughs> School. Um, uh-huh. But you know, a lot of a lot of my early interest, which is why I went to to Esalen, was it was was my entry point was the psychological studying Fritz Perl's um, Gestalt therapy, studying uh, 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 Janoff's primal therapy, um, the work of Stan Groff. Uh, uh, One of my teachers. I, yeah, I mean, a, a, a genius. I, I understood about every fifth sentence that he said, uh, and that led me into like, for example, I did the S training. Back okay. in, in the late 70s, because, you know, Werner Erhard told all of his trainers to get Rolf, that you had to have your body open and available to you if you really wanted to be present with people. Then what happened in my, my own journey is that as I started to get more into this, people started coming with pain. They had pain that no one else was dealing with. The, the, the conventional physical therapy, the conventional, you know, medical therapies, just giving people drugs and stuff... It worked sometimes, but it was haphazard. And where I think Dr. Rolf took a lot of her cues from the early osteopaths. They were really the first ones that, that, you know, Andrew Taylor Still, who founded osteopathy, was the the progenitor of the the whole idea that, you know, not man apart, we're connected, Mm -hmm. you know, and that the body is a way that you can evoke a healing response and that that healing response can change who you are. Well, Dr. Rolf had her own sort of sets of influences and, you know, including, you know, as, as a chemist, as someone that studied general semantics, as someone that studied yoga, homeopathy. So she kept looking at things from a systems theory. She was early on in the idea of systems theory. And so what, where I think Rolfing was a real, and, and, and what she called her work was structural integration. It got popularly known as Rolfing at the Esalen Institute. Okay. Fritz Perl started telling people they had to go get Rolfed. Okay. And that's where the term okay. came from. So, I think where we've been real leaders is 
in getting people to think about that by touching a body, you could change, by touching a foot, you can change the entire way a body moves. Mm -hmm. That we are a system that can be approached in a very ordered, systematic, logical way. And we really were the, were the I mean, the osteopaths were talking about fascia, but that was a big thing for us. Fascia, 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 fascia. I think where the, the problem we've had as an organization is that we're small. There's not a lot of us. There's, there's about 2,000 actual certified rolfers in the United States. Rolfing is a, is a trademark term. Now, there's other schools of rolf that have emerged. There's an organization called the International Association of Structural Integrators that certifies schools that, that teach the principles of Dr. Rolf's work, which is good. I mean, I think it, it builds the field, the more the merrier, you know, if, you know when there's standards. I think that, that we've been leaders in the idea of, of you know, physical medicine, physical intervention, manipulation as a primary way to intervene in someone's health path. You know, if, if you think of when, when you and I grew up, when did anyone ever touch you? Doctors certainly didn't. If you went in to see your doctor and you had a knee pain, they'd give you an anti-inflammatory, or maybe if you were lucky, an injection. You know, when, when we started going, well, wait a minute, let's, let's look at how your foot and hip are affecting that joint because the knee's a hinge joint, and those are omnidirectional joints, and oh, whoops, look, your spine's all twisted, and that's changing the way your hips sit on top of your legs, and it's getting people to think in that generalized, you know, whole, whole body way. So, that leads me to a question, the whole body systemic perspective. Uh, it's rare in our culture. We, we seem to specialize in narrow cast and have, uh, you know, as I already kind of said, specialists who specialize in a particular in medicine, a particular organ or particular organ system, uh, there's very few people who are thinking systemically, just in terms of the human body, let alone ecological, social, cultural type things related to health and wellness. Were you, did you find yourself a systemic thinker that uh, going into this kind of work or did this work lead you to become a systemic thinker? I think I was attracted to systemic thinking. It just made sense to me. Mm-hmm. It, it, I wasn't aware of it. You know, I came out of a fairly classical prep school education. Uh, but once I started getting exposed to it, it, it was like, it, it was like, yeah, and it was like getting that. It was like I didn't know I was thirsty for it till I started drinking okay. it. But 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 I think that's Rolfing was. It really came of age during the human potential movement. Mm-hmm. Dr. Rolf started getting notoriety in the late 60s, early 70s. And that's when the whole, there was sort of that explosion of mind-body interest. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it started certainly in the 60s with, with, with psychedelic drugs and then it moved. It, but then people started looking for other ways to have these altered states and altered, and, and altered states led to altered ways of being. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just can't. You know, you know, drop acid to change the way you see the world. Maybe you need to learn how to do it. That opened a door, but now you got to learn how to get there yourself and take responsibility for it. I also think if you come, if you think, if you go back to the fifties, you watch I Love Lucy, and, and Lucy and Ricky slept in separate beds. Yeah, right, right. Never, never figured out how little Ricky got there. <laughs> um, but you know, we didn't touch. We didn't show people touching, and I think that's one of the real powerful things that Rolfing did was was it just caught fire at the right time and people were like hey because massage was largely thought of certainly in 
here in Northern Virginia, where I grew up, there were massage parlors. Body work was 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 associated with sex, okay. not right. with not with with transformational change, and and that that I think, you know, created. Uh, we helped. I think maybe this is arrogant, but that we helped sort of open that market to a much wider acceptance of touch as a way of communicating and creating and opening up self. Nice. As a transformational vehicle. Mm -hmm. And speaking of transformational vehicles, might be good to talk about first why someone might come to see a Rolfer. Like what what are some of the conditions that bring someone to the Rolfer? And you already you already kind of mentioned that the the working in through the Rolfing system not only obviously affects the physical body as a whole system, but psychologically too. So can you both talk about some of the symptomology that brings someone to a Rolfer and then some of the transformations psychologically, not just physically, that can occur as a result of Rolfing? Well, a huge piece of my personal practice is people come because they have pain. Mm-hmm. They've been to very traditional and, and oftentimes very skilled practitioners, but that it hasn't been the right approach. And so, you know, my joke is that people come to me for one of three reasons. They're, they're either really smart. They've looked at this and went, this makes sense. This is logical. They're progressive. They want to try different things. They're, they're drawn to, you know, innovation. Or they're desperate. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes all three. Now, I, you know, back when I started my practice in 1980, most of the people came to me came for a human potential reason. Oh, nice. They, wow. they really came because they saw their body as a way of furthering their ability to, to, to really be connected deeply with themselves, to, to even to, to deal with psychological issues, like depression, uh, anxiety. Uh, they felt, you know, they, they just couldn't interact in the world the way they wanted to. Over time, we've gotten a reputation of being very effective at helping people with issues with pain. I'm thrilled when someone comes to me and they don't have pain. I mean, it's like, I mean, I never want to see anyone walk through my door because they hurt. Right. I'm deeply gratified when someone comes and trusts me. Because, you know, when you have pain, sometimes letting someone touch you can be challenging. Yeah, right. Especially when we, you know, you know my joke is when, what's the thing that people most often say in our culture when someone touches them? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> You know, my joke is when they do that, I go, oh, it's okay, I like to be touched. Okay. <laughs> you should see the looks that gets me. But... But it's, it's great when, like, I had a, a woman come in recently, she had her 10-year-old, and he just felt he wasn't hungry, he, he, he didn't want anyone to touch him, he didn't, want his, he didn't want to hug his mom, he felt like his body was tight, he didn't feel, he's, he told me, he said, I don't feel like I, I can live in my own skin. And first of all, it is such a privilege to have a child invite you in. Hmm. I, I, the mother had asked me, he said, are you... Are you comfortable working with children? I said, oh, they're my favorites. I mean, it's, it's, such a, it's such a joy. I mean, first of all, they're exploding with life. And to be invited by a child into their life, thank you. Hmm. And after his first session, they got in the car and, and he said to his mother, I'm hungry, let's go get something to eat. And he'd been like, not wanting to eat. And then that night, he came and sat on the couch and cuddled up to her. Wow. And she said she almost cried because right. he hadn't touched her basically in six months and you know it's not like with a 10 year old you can logically say well you know what you know what did we uncover but it was like something got jump started mm-hmm. in him and that's i think dr rolf used to say and i paraphrase if you 
you know, align the body in gravity, and, you know, put the pieces so that they're working more together as an, as an organized whole, the body will heal itself. And it, it gets into some really interesting stuff that dates back again to the early osteopaths who talked about when was the moment in an embryo when life came in? Mm. And that part of what, and I'm sure an osteopath would just scream at me because I'm not representing their work well, but how do you find that initial spark and how do you, of, of life that gets into people? And that's, I think, where our potential lies. You know, it's, it's in what Jung would have called our ancestral memory. That spark of life comes in and brings our ancestral memory with it. One of the things that you and I have talked about, which I find fascinating, and I think it'd be important to discuss, is it's not just, and I say not just, because even what, what you've just said is so important in terms of your physical structure being in line with gravity, but that also has an effect on the organ systems. Yes. And the health of the various organ systems. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, you can talk about it mechanically. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if you have a tilted pelvis and that's throwing your lumbar spine too far forward into a hyperlordosis, you start to hang your liver potentially in a funny way. So you could have a mechanical strain on that organ. Um, but remember, all those blood vessels and nerves pass through those, the connective tissue. And so you can have, you know, literally vascular or neurological impingements, like a, like a nerve can get uh, tethered into soft tissue and it's not conducting as effectively. You get into really esoteric when you start talking about that there's range of motion in the body, what we call mobility, and then there's inherent motion in the body, we call motility. And that traces back to that original embryological unfolding. It's like we're oriented around axes of motion. So think of it like in the Earth. The Earth, every 365 days, rotates around the sun. Range of motion. Every 24 hours, it rotates around an axis. That's the motility. Okay. So if something's stuck, it's restricted in its physical range of motion, you're now affecting its ability to move on itself, that internal motion of the body. Uh, and so that's one of the ways we think that we help with organ function. And I, I actually remember having a, a, a client years ago who was in his late 70s and had severe scoliosis. It was an adolescent onset scoliotic. And I did two sessions just trying to release his diaphragm and because the, you know, his whole rib cage was collapsed around his liver. And I got a call from his internist and he said, listen, I don't know what you're doing with my patient, but his cholesterol has dropped by 50%. Wow. He said, we've had... Holy we've, shit. Yeah. And he, he was like, I, I, I want to send some other people <laughs> to you. Now, I, there's been no studies of that, it, it, you know, nothing controlled. But it just spoke to the fact that with someone who was in such extreme restriction that getting some, some motion there just helped. And if you think of us as a fluid system, right. you know, if fluid, what's one of the signs you see of sickness? People start to get, they start to swell. Mm. Like the classic is, you know, the sign of congestive heart failure, mm. you know, swollen ankles and legs. Well, if we are a effective fluid system, we're like a wetland. Mm -hmm. Fluid moves through us. We're more alkaline. If things start to get constricted, fluid doesn't move as well, you become more acidic. 
that's more inflammatory. Right on, right. And I, I firmly believe that in the future that we're going to trace much of dis-ease to inflammation. Yep. Completely agree. All right, so... And by the way, we were just talking there about the abdominal viscera. Now imagine now, for, just for a second, yeah. your, your, your thoracic viscera, lungs, heart. Well, you've got ribs around them. Those ribs move in multiple directions. That affects your breathing. That affects your systemic vascularity. Um, and if you can orient and change the way, I mean, we have a whole generation now. There, I, I, I'm not sure if this has made it to a di- official diagnosis yet, but it's certainly an anecdotal one that you hear called text neck. With, with oh. people who are hunk, hunker down over mm. their phone or their mm. computers all day, they lose their curve, they compress in their neck, they compress their upper ribs. There's arteries and, and, and veins that go into the cranium and out and nerves that go through there into the thoracic cavity. That starts to affect function. You know, it, it might be two, three, four percent, but it gets worse over time because gravity will take you in the direction you're already going. That was Dr. Rolf's point about putting a body more appropriately in gravity. Because gravity reinforces degenerative patterns. If your head sits too far forward, gravity will keep pulling it in that direction. Gravity wins. Since you, you brought up the lungs, I think that might be a nice segue into the psychological. Because I would imagine, and this is my own experience with you, is that as you uh, increase mobility and the ability for the lungs to fully um, function, so you fully inhale, fully exhale, um, you actually can change the fight or flight dynamic or the sympathetic parasympathetic dynamic. So someone who is chronically in sympathetic uh, um, 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 stimulation, stimulation, and maybe not like like they're in a fight or flight, but it's it's more subtle than that. But they're constantly chronically stressed. I would imagine that if you just did an analysis of them, they most likely you're a chest breather. They're not fully breathing. Upper chest. Upper chest. Well, it's one of the things you can you can tell when someone comes in. Someone who's who's relaxed talks more diaphragmically. Someone who's more stressed talks more upper ribs, right? right, right upper right. chest. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're in chronic sympathetic stimulation, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to get a slight depression of your respiratory diaphragm. Right? It's going to go from being like a bell. It's going to start to flatten. Well, for example, the phrenic nerve, which is what governs the parasympathetic or discharge response, goes through your diaphragm. What's well, now being strained? You're, it's death by a thousand cuts. It's like walking around with psychological Velcro on. Everything sticks to you when you're stressed. So it's not that you don't want to have a fight-or-flight response. My goodness, I'm glad we have that. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to run around like that. Chronically. So, you know, here's, here's the pop culture reference since we're in the middle of football season. You know, what do you see every time you turn on a football game? Erectile dysfunction commercial. No. What do they say at the end of every one of those? If you have an erection that lasts for more than four hours, call your doctor. What are they saying? Prolonged arousal is dangerous. Okay. You right. know, and you're right. It's not people running around in fight or flight response, but it's like little petty mall seizures mm-hmm. all day, mm-hmm. and it wears people out. It tires you out. You're not as functional. You don't get as good at air through your body. You right. don't get as good of, of oxygenation of the tissue. Thus, you don't get as good of uh, uh, removal of, of toxicity. I mean, right. everything's an exchange in the body. That's what's you know what we're trying to hopefully increase. And, and obviously it would have an effect on the prefrontal cortex and how your brain functions and therefore how your mind functions as well, therefore leading to psychology, anxiety, Absolutely. depression, other kind of disorders or neuroses depending on the degree and scale. So talk a little bit about how you've seen some psychological changes through the work you do as a rolfer. Well, you know, being in D.C., it's a mind town. 
you know, people are in their heads. And a lot of times they don't even know people come in to see me and they have no idea how stressed they are. You start lifting up their rib cage, getting a little breath, and all of a sudden they're like, I don't feel so tense. I don't feel as anxious. I'm able to actually breathe. I mean, think about if, if, if what happens if to cover someone's face and they can't breathe. They start to become hysterical. Mm, they panic, yeah. Right? Well, well, if you're in chronic low level of, 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 of uh, strangulation, if you will. But let me give you another example. Getting your feet on the ground. The person who's not grounded. Right, right. You know, all of a sudden they feel more solid. They feel more secure. They feel more and open. It's, and it's not just metaphorical. No, it's you, real. It's real, phys- you, you, physical and metaphorical. But it, but, it, but it creates a <laughs> metaphorical, it's like, I feel more confident. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like we, we know from studies of, of criminals that, that they can tell someone that's better to attack than another just by their gait. Interesting, okay. You know, um, it's, it's, and so you see that with, you can walk into a room, and, you know, and I, I'm sure you can do this. You can tell the people who are open and available and those that aren't. You can tell by the way they breathe. You can tell from where their voice comes in their body. Right, right. But if you don't have that available to you, if it's if it's been if your body is now locked, fixed in a particular pattern, you can't breathe, you can't move, well, you don't have choice. Mm-hmm. And choice creates a sense of low level panic. You know, it's it's it, a lot of times people don't even know why they don't feel good. It's just I don't, you know, I don't want to go out. I don't want to take on more. I don't want to experience more in life. So part of what I'm, I, I like to do is give people the idea that you, you can have some choice back. Right. Know, get your body back. Get your life back. It, it, it would seem to me that in, in a course of someone who's dealing with psychological issues, perhaps the better route to go instead of seeing a psychiatrist first off, unless, of course, you're homicidal or suicidal, is perhaps a, a body worker such as yourself, a Rolfer, because I would have to imagine if you if you organize the body appropriately to gravity, get all the organs functioning so there's oxygen flowing through the body and nutrition flowing through the body so there's not the restrictions that you're talking about, people are breathing more fully, that would probably knock out a large percentage of the psychological disorders. Maybe not all of them, but at least you well, know some, what is but, physical. But you know, the, 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 the psychotherapists that I refer to get that. Mm-hmm. And they understand that, and, and I feel the same way. I mean, there's, there's certainly people have come to see me and I know that one of the things that may happen is as you open a body up is they become more connected they get more connected with what they've been repressing that's true right you know Uh, and so they may need to do more work Um, you know in a perfect world you know we all work together yeah and we each value what the other brings Um, certainly in the case of a psychiatrist if someone's got you know biometabolic orders you know they're they need lithium for for bipolar depression i'm not sure that rolfing would necessarily be the first place i would send them mm-hmm. and then that's always about knowing your scope of practice right and, on, and, right. and and you know i've one of the nice things about practicing for 40 years is that i know a lot of people and and so i i and i know when to refer that's um, one, one of the many things i've appreciated about you because you've actually made referrals for me for other things that i'm working on or dealing with um, so that's been, you know, I, you are a very team-oriented player. And he, your systemic thinking is beyond what you do in terms of your own work as a rolfer. You see, like, the large, even a larger picture than the rolfing world would see. And that's why I think you're able to 
pinpoint what uh, other resources might be of value to an individual outside of the rolfing world. Well, that, that, that's very kind of you. I, I, I can tell you I have lots of colleagues that are, I think, are much more sophisticated than I am. Uh, and, 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 but I, I think that the nature of this work, hopefully, is because you're curious. And if you're curious, you're always looking to say, well, what else? You know, what's, and I, I find most of my colleagues that way, that they're very oriented towards what's best for the person. Right. Um, it's all like, what's the right tool for the right job? But I think that, that most of the people that I meet in this type of work are systems oriented. Mm-hmm. And so they're looking for, you know, what are the other pieces, you know, to organize a coherent whole? How do you organize those disparate elements into some, some coherence? So uh, maybe perhaps the last question. Um, you started in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. We're now 2018, almost 2019. We're just a couple weeks away. What, what are the, some of the major learnings you've had by doing this work for the past 40 years, both about yourself and about human beings in general? I can tell you about myself. I know a lot less than I used to. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, there's nothing like, I I was in a a rib class recently and the instructor asked me, one of the people in the class asked me uh, why I was taking it for a third time. And I said, well, I got so much out of the second time that I didn't get the first time. I figured there must be still more that I'll learn. I, I really have a deep sense of how little I actually really know and how much there is to know. But that's really one of the exciting things about doing this work is that, I mean, if, if, the, if the Buddhists are right and we live multiple lifetimes, I got a great gig. I get to touch people for a living. I get paid for it. I get to care about them. And I get to touch them, you know, and I'm, and I'm never going to ever stop learning. There's right. always more to, you know, it, it, it's, there's... Every time I take a class and I learn something even remotely significant, it's like one of those Homer Simpson moments. Dope! <laughs> yeah. How did I not know that? Uh, you know, like, uh, right, quick right. time for a recall. I got to call everybody back. And go. <laughs> He's got another piece of the puzzle. Right on. But uh, but you know what? What I think I've learned. My oldest brother's a physician, and uh, he's a true scientist, MD, PhD, and he said to me once. He said, "Remember, medicine is not." is not science it's an art based on science and he said don't ever stop learning and I think that that's the thing Good that advice. I've learned that we're always learning more stuff there's always new things and it's coming from different fields and different directions and you know in our work there's in the in the world of, of Rolf there's certainly arguments about different schools and their approaches and um, who's got the best training? And I, I always kind of mused to myself. I wonder what Dr. Rolf would be doing today, hmm. because you know she never stopped learning. Right. And and we've we've had like when I trained, there was no real acknowledgement of the role of the viscera in the structure. Hmm. Well, now we know it's critical. There's all sorts of things that we keep learning, and you know, I've, so I think that's what if I've learned anything, it's don't ever get comfortable. Nice, I like that. And what have you learned about human beings? That we're plastic, that we're changeable, that we're dynamic, and that without encouragement, we frequently default back to our, our original equilibrium points. That, that one of the things I feel really, really privileged about is I've had clients that have been with me since 1980. Wow. 
and I've been able to participate with them like an anchor, mm. you know, and, and believe me, they anchor me too, um, in their journeys, because it's like, sometimes we just need to be reminded, you know, and, and nudged a little bit. Mm. That's why we have teachers and trainers and, you know, the work that you do, you know, in coaching people is sometimes it's, you know, we are amazingly dynamic. We have an incredible ability to self-heal. And sometimes we just get lazy or we just want to, we want to default back to that, that, that original setting. And we have to be reminded what our commitment is. Right on. That's awesome. So we're in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. For folks who might be interested in uh, ringing in and learning more about your work, uh, website? CosperScafidi.com. C-O-S-P-E-R-S-C-A-F-I-D as in David I.com. Or if you just Google Cosper the Rolfer, trust me, it'll show up on, uh, <laughs> on Google. On, there's not many Cospers <laughs> running around. Right on. Well, Cosper, thank you for your time. Um, appreciate this conversation. I definitely encourage folks who are in this area or maybe even visiting this area to come see you, both for if they're dealing with any kind of physical issues, but also just for exploration of who they could become. Uh, And the body is a great way of entering into that conversation. And you're an amazing facilitator of that conversation. And uh, I appreciate the work you've been doing with me with this this past year. Thank Michael, thank you. That's very kind. And, And if anyone's listening to this and they're not in the D.C. area, but they're interested in what we're talking about, they can contact me. I can find them someone. Oh, good. Excellent. I appreciate you saying that. Good. Cosper, happy new year. (laughs) You too.